people out there, if you're in a wobbly relationship, don't try and solve it by writing a novel together. It's very, it's writing is hard, and I think collaborating is even harder. In a way, we almost didn't understand why we were writing the novel until we'd finished writing the novel. Mobile phones and the internet and Google are wonderful things, but they're terrible for thriller writers. Because actually, if you look back, if you look back at lots of your, if any of your favourite thrillers back in the 70s, 80s or earlier, so many of them would just be ruins from the beginning because someone would call for help on their mobile phone or they'd look someone up on Google. One of the most common lines in thrillers now is, my, my mobile's not got a signal. Or, <laughs> yeah, exactly, because because it just would spoil almost everything. Welcome to a brand new episode of Best Sellers. I'm Phil Williams. And I'm still Natalie Jameson. You sound like you were checking with yourself there. <laughs> yeah, it's good to like, you know, a bit of self-care. Am I? Yeah, I am, just about. It's been a, it's been a bit of a week, but yeah. <laughs> I'm still here, still myself, just about. Hero, hero. <laughs> Do you know what we're offering you today on Best Sellers? It's two for the price of one. It's not just one writer. It's Now, I think that this is a first for us in as much as we've done two writers before on the podcast, but have yeah. we done two writers that are also married? I don't think we've done that, have we? In fact, I don't, do many more exist? Are there many married couples writing books, to your knowledge? Uh, I think there are some, but I, I would say that it's a niche, uh, and I fully understand why. That was my next question. That was my next question. How many years have you been married? uh 20 this year so we're nine this year and i'm not sure it's a good idea what marriage or just like (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) this is today's podcast is all about marriage no 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 i think marriage is a great idea although whose quote is it marriage is an institution who wants to live in an institution that's the quote but um no i think i'm not sure it's a great idea to write a book with a partner although i will confess to you and this is the first time i'm telling natalie this so bear that in mind when you hear her reaction. As I edited this podcast, I did think, oh, I wonder if Nat and I would be able to write a book together because we're not mm-hmm. married. Do you know what I mean? No, I thought, I wonder if not. that would mean that it would be a more harmonious, more or less personal experience. Um, I don't know. I think it was, it's probably, I think it's easier to be objectively critical I'd say, yeah. in a kind of work colleague sense. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was also, the other bit of my brain was going, um, isn't Giovanna Fletcher and Tom Fletcher, yeah. they have written together, they've written yes. books together. Yes, that's true. But they seem very harmonious creatively to be able to do that as well. Um, yeah, I think it's a really fascinating thing because actually I think writing a book can be so exposing anyway of what you're doing. So if you're doing that with your romantic partner, yeah, that's like a whole other level. But I, I think I have quite a lot of admiration for couples oh, that can too. do it. Me too. Yeah, me too. And also the degree of trust has to be enormous, doesn't it? Because so what I was thinking, like if you and I were to co-author a book together, for example, I was mulling this over whilst I was on the exercise <laughs> bike, right? And I was thinking the plus point would be, imagine if, let's say I got stuck 
and I could call you and go, I'm st- I know this is my chapter, but I'm stuck. And I don't know how that character gets from A to B or whatever, whatever the dilemma is. I would imagine you'd go, oh, well, surely just this. And I go, oh, yeah. And then you might even go, do you know what? I'll write that. Yeah. And go, great. And that, so you'd have a helping hand. I would imagine the downside would be if I wrote a chapter I thought was great. Yeah. And then you read it and you went, I don't know, man. It's just, I don't know. There's something about it. It's it, it's sticking with me. And that would be quite gutting, but it would be less gutting because you're a fellow professional than I think if my wife said that to me, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I, I know what you mean. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I do. I do. Because I can imagine like going off on wild, random tangents and being like, I love this. We're at the direction. Yeah, I've yeah, just taken the yeah. story. And you're like, yeah, but you know, we said this was not going to be that. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, and I should say as well, like in terms of talking about whether, you know, anyone can write with their partner. I think the the perspective I'm coming from is that it's all to do with my issues in that it would be my fear of revealing too much or getting it wrong it would not be like a casting aspersions on on, on your other husband. half yeah no <laughs> yeah. exactly no of course i think that's the same for everybody though isn't mm. it we'd all bring our own preconceptions and insecurities to the party and then it's it's whether you can navigate those with your partner isn't it we haven't even said who's on which is my <laughs> bad so if you've ever read a book by nikki french and thought she's brilliant well think again because nikki french are sean and nikki they've been together 33 years they've written for 27 of those years that's i think that's remarkable it is remarkable and it still feels enthusiastic and fresh. And, you know, that does kind of pulse throughout this mystery thriller, I'd say for sure. Um, yeah. And if you want to know how they do it, I think we should stop babbling actually and just let them tell us. So here is Phil with the proper introduction to the brilliant Nikki French. We've got an absolute treat for you on this edition of Bestsellers because we're offering you two writers for the price of one, but they write under one name. And I'm trying to think, Natalie, have we done a writing? Yes, we have. We did. We did. We did do a writing duo. We did the yeah. guy that wrote for Darren Brown and his comedy partner, Drimba. Yeah. Andy Dyson and yeah. Jeremy. Jeremy Nyman. Yeah. Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson. I got it the wrong way around. Yeah. 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 You were thinking of the Hoovering. And... Um, <laughs> It's a real treat for us because it's quite rare, I would say, in fiction that you have writing duos, certainly for us, and we're five seasons in. So we welcome the thriller writing stalwarts known as Nikki French, <laughs> who are individually Nikki Gerard and Sean French. Really nice to have you both on. Good to be here. Really nice to be here. Thank you for having us. And, and first of all, I, I want to say, I want to pick up on the fact that, and I hope my research is correct in this, um, your latest book, has anyone seen Charlotte Salter, starts in 1990. Significant year for you two because... Yeah, that was the year we got married. The year we, the year we, we, we met and got married in the same Which year. Which actually hadn't occurred to me until you said it now. Well, so. do you know, you? so I'm going to let you know, listening, you, you looked really blank and I thought, oh, no, have I botched this? <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> Sean I'm you. Bad on years. I'm really bad on I'm... dates. Sean is very good on dates. but I So now you say it, then yeah. yes, of course, it's true. Wow. It's See, it's weird to think that the year we got married now feels like we're writing a historical novel set in that in that year. You know that 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 that's when you know you're old. See, I wondered if that had kind of even surreptitiously dripped in. Do you know what I mean? When you're thinking, right, how far back do we want to go to start this story? Whether it was such a special year that that's why. You know, the memories are so fresh of what we didn't have. Sean Sean has been thinking all the time that we had been thinking that, and it was kind of like year zero for us, and that's where we began. 
And now I'm thinking that as well, but it hadn't occurred to me. I mean, I think 1990, we needed to, for it to be kind of long ago enough that a kind of significant body of time has started before we kind of leap forward into the present. Yeah. And also significant in the way that we lead our lives as well. Right? As you point out in this story, you know, there's things that we take for granted now, like mobile phones. They weren't commonly around. Mm. I think um, I was at least eight years away from the Internet. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. You know, one of the th things we talk about a lot is that, um, is that you know, all these new things, you know, mobile phones and the Internet and Google are wonderful things, but they're terrible for thriller writers. Because actually, <laughs> if, you back, if you look back at lots of your, if any of your favourite thrillers back in the 70s, 80s or earlier, so many of them would just be ruins from the beginning because someone would call for help on their mobile phone or they'd yeah. look someone up on Google. And, yeah. I mean, I mean, or for example, one of the, one of the really common things that happens in in old thrillers is someone disappears. It's really hard to disappear now to go, you know, to go off grid. You know, I mean, you know, if you think of all the old films where people go and go go and buy an airline ticket paying with cash, well, can try and try and buy an airline ticket with cash now, and they'll call the police. Before, you know, um, one of the, one of the most common lines in thrillers now is. My my mobile's not got a signal, or, yeah. or it's run out of battery. Out of battery. Yeah, exactly because yeah. because it just would spoil almost everything. You know, if you look at something like All the President's Men, uh, they spent half the film is them like looking through phone books and things like that, and almost everything they do would be the film would be lost about eight minutes if it were made today because you know it's you know it's, because it's about oh how do you find someone who lives in another city you know <laughs> yeah no it's right it's, it's a conversation I've had with other authors as well when they say because again one of the sort of tropes of thr of thriller writings is you don't know what somebody looks like. But again, that only works up to a certain point because now, as you said, yeah. you just Google what they look Google, like or there'd yeah. be so many ways to find out the image of somebody. Um, but so this book, as we've sort of alluded to already, is set in these dual timelines. Mm. Was there a particular section that you enjoyed writing more? Did you find that actually it was a lot easier to sort of, you know, plant clues in the 90s sections as opposed to the ones written later on? That's such a good question. And was that, I mean, I think from speaking for myself, often the bits that I enjoy writing the most are the bit as the novel progresses and then suddenly there comes a time when it comes alive and it takes you to places you hadn't known where you were going. And you can plan a novel all you like, but then all of a sudden it's being disobedient and the characters aren't doing what you say they're going to do. And those are the bits where I kind of, I feel it's taken me over and that's what I love. But I mean... One of the things that we love writing about, it, we, we, very often our novels are set in London and there's a particular reason for setting kind of novels in a city where people are both kind of crowded together but invisible and lives jostle up against each other. Um, but this novel had to be in, in, the, in the kind of lonely landscape where people are kind of very visible but also kind of everything is far flung and the land meets the water. And it, we set it in East Anglia, which is which is where we spend most of our our time. And I love that. I, I love writing about this area, the kind of the mud flats and the big skies and the and the calling birds and that sense and the of, grimness of it. <laughs> and the grimness of it, yes. And I used to have um, an ex-girlfriend in East Anglia. So genuinely, there is no phone signal. There's one road in and one road out. Yeah. It is quite similar to 1990, isn't it? If you wanted to set, you know, in terms of it, it, the landscape helps you, doesn't it? Well, we, where we're sitting at the moment in, the, in our house here, um, 
we we genuinely keep we, we sometimes say we should you know why are we the last people we know left with a landline and the, the reason is because you can't you can you know it depends on which way the wind is blowing somehow whether you can get whether your mobile phone works so really no it is it's you're cut off in a way, you know. But that thing about there not being a motorway in, and it feels like in in many parts of East Anglia, it feels like a region that's not that history hasn't touched in some way. So these kind of old churches and undamaged villages, and also just what I was saying before that, the kind of wateriness of it. So it's it, it's not you know the land doesn't stop. It kind of it just kind of fades away into kind of into mud and creeks, and you can't tell what's land and what's water. And that sense of looking out to sea rather than looking out, looking kind of back at the centre. And it's kind of magical place to set a thriller. Can I just say at this point, because um, I I love talking to authors and obviously this is series five. So clearly Phil and I both enjoy doing that very much. But just hearing you talk about that, I find it so hard. We won't give away spoilers, but my head is just like racing with images from your books of things that happened. And have you ever in an interview or in a place where you're not supposed to blurted out a really massive spoiler and I'm going uh <laughs> no that's a, that's a really good point I think there are because I think sometimes it's in a way because you want to kind of talk about the book in in a way that makes people intrigued by it but so it also depends with what with some of the books it's very clear that something happens right at the beginning but then there's some books that in a way, the kind of selling point of it is a kind of twist that happens like a third of the way through or something. And it can, you know, sometimes you're kind of desperately skirting around this without saying, how can you, you know, because, of course, in a way, you're sometimes the, 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 the early bit is like is preparing for this. So, yeah, we do, I think that is, it's really often a problem. And I'm have sure we, we have. I hope yeah. you're not about I, I think sometimes. It's time for everything. Very often I started to say something and Nikki starts shouting at me. <laughs> Actually, it's interesting because Sean it always gives away plots of films, for instance, <laughs> um, like his father before him. So, and so and the whole family just kind of put their hands over ears <laughs> and chant when he begins talking so it's surprising that you haven't but i well okay we're going to now we're going to be very careful about what we say uh, well don't be it's fine okay. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> we, we've got your backs yeah if we get to the end and we feel we've blown a major plot point for charlotte salter we'll we will nick it out and make sure that that knows good i also think that you need to this is definitely a book isn't it that way you need to come to it knowing nothing the, the less you know i think the greater the enjoyment from the book yeah because i, I was going to follow up just what we were saying with, I always find it, I think people are going to, I was chatting to again, a friend of mine, um, Susie, who works in publishing. And uh, I was saying how I always find it quite off-putting sometimes if the trailers for books are like, there's a great twist or mm. such yeah. a twisty, turny yeah. book. And then I just spend the whole time reading going, Looking was that the them. twist? Like, yeah, yeah. That wasn't I, very I, good. I, or... I totally agree. I think there's, I think that's exactly, it's not, with wanting to give away the twist, I agree. There's certain book people say, "Oh God, there's a fantastic twist," and in a way, you just then it just spoils it because you're constantly thinking, "Is it that or is it?" You know, um, I mean, there is a particular, there is a certain thriller that that I find that I really a fan of was you know the horizontal man. Was it called the horizontal man? The one that Dorothy B. Hughes. No, no, no. no I'm thinking, well, it's not art. It's not by us, and I'm not going to give away <laughs> the twist. But there is a, the, 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 it's one of those books that when I read, I started reading this book. Uh, and uh, something happens in it that I was so blown away by that I kind of wanted to kind of take, to tell people you've got to read this, but I can't tell you why because I don't even want to say what's the th the device that's so clever in it. So and that's uh, so yeah, it's a it's an you know 
that's a, it's a real issue. I think it's even worse with film trailers. And Nikki and I, we were just watching the certain trailers you watch in in cinema. I don't I don't need any, don't need to see the film now. They've shown yeah, all the seen it. all the beats going through. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and they seem to have got longer as well. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So I think the cultural problem, I think, with lots of things now, and that's because of talking about things like the uh, about the internet and all the discourse and Twitter. I think so, I sometimes feel that by the time you get to see a film or read a book, you've read it, you know. And I, 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 I've always loved the idea of picking up a book, and or going and sitting down with the lights going down, and I have no idea what's coming. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, and it's so rare for that to happen. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think we're in a privileged position with that because we get the proofs, don't we? So we get these up front. Yeah, well, yeah, we do. But I was going to say, it's kind of it's uh, just to <laughs> continue that thread a little bit. It's fascinating how often people will say, I think, to Phil and I, when it comes to recommending books, uh, but also like film and TV, because we work in the pop culture world too. They're like, "Am I going to like it?" And you're like, "Well, I don't know." That, but that's sort <laughs> of the enjoyment of going to something is that or reading something is that you don't know if you're going to like it but you've got to be open to the possibility that hopefully you will mm -hmm. uh, but yeah if, if you're kind of going in like thinking oh I think I'll like this because I've read everything about it I know what's going to happen so yeah it's like that weird echo chamber thing happening in culture too anyway mm. I am going to be brave and I'm going to take a stab at setting up has anyone seen Charlotte Salter <laughs> okay and Good if you luck. feel I've gone too far, just shout stop really loudly, okay? All right. So we've got a standalone story. We're in 1990 when the story begins. And it is Alex Salter's 50th birthday party. And Charlotte, his wife, is not there. She does not make that party. And the first person seems to be con most concerned is, is Etty, the daughter. There are siblings, there are brothers who are a bit concerned, but she's the one that's really worried. She's like, there's no way mum wouldn't be here. And that's where the mystery begins. Hmm. Zip my mouth. All right, so far? Happy with that? No so spoilers? Far. Doing well. Yeah. Doing well. <laughs> Good. So I wanted to ask you, for your 25th novel, why you decided to make that a standalone? And what was the originator? Because I know that you two have a rather lovely breakfast table or coffee table and that you spend a lot of time sat around it, knocking ideas around. And I've also been told that your books grow out of clusters of ideas rather than chronological planning is that fair well i definitely think that, i mean it's not just that i mean the, the you know the, the breakfast table is one of them but in a way the i would say the whole of our relationship we'd we're constantly there's a bit of us saying what you know could this be a thriller we, we hear something or what we you know what, what you know what would happen if we did this or what what you know could, could that could that work as a story so i think so i think in a way although you know we write thrillers but i, I think the it's very unusual that we're inspired by reading about a crime or something like that. It's more more just kind of, what if suddenly in a marriage this happened? What if you met someone? You know, you know, we've to take one uh, earlier book we wrote. What if you were having a brief relationship? You broke up with, you broke up with this guy, and he just wouldn't leave. Just wouldn't refuse to leave. Which sounds in a way a bit like a rom com, but actually it's a uh, you know, and it turns into a really kind of that you know that was a kind of really creepy psychological thriller you know so i think it's that sort of what if question that comes um i mean another one in the recent book we did was if someone comes out of your past and just ask you you really feel you kind of owe in some way something and they just ask you to do a favor you just have to do it whatever it is so it's that and so you know, so what was the what if quandary here can you tell us without giving any spoilers because the story's a lot more than just a potential missing person 
it's completely so in a way we almost didn't understand why we were writing the novel until we'd finished writing the novel um and actually we wrote the novel when my mother was very slowly and and kind of badly dying it was the last kind of few months and the last year of her life and towards the end of the novel we suddenly thought oh actually we're writing about mothers we're writing about our mothers um I think when we set off there were two things we wanted to do the first was we wanted to read we, we, a lot of our novels are set in very condensed periods of time one was even written in kind of real time like a single take on a camera um, but often over kind of days or weeks. And we wanted to write something that took place over a long period of time so we could see kind of time chipping away at the characters and the effect it has on that. And, and, and then we thought about writing about the kind of just missing. We wanted to write about what it is to kind of, not, not to feel grief, but to feel that anticipatory tormenting grief when somebody disappears and quite a lot of books have been written about parents losing their children so we wanted to turn that on their on its head and write about children missing their parent what is it to live with that kind of tormented missing so that was the starting point really and then it, and then it was about mothers because you know Sean's mother's still alive but very old and my mother was dying and we would and and so and then we thought about separating it into into, into two time periods. So the 1990, you see these four children and their friends in their teens and early twenties, and they're young and eager and optimistic and their life is kind of shining ahead of them. And then you jump cut 30 years later to the present when the, when it has not been solved. And they, they there's a kind of reunion of everybody and you see the damage that time has done. So we wanted to follow that. And, you know, at the same time, we wanted to write a really compulsive kind of thriller where you want to know the answer, but with taproots down into this horrible, tormented grief and the kind of wreckage that that does on a life. It's really interesting, though, hearing you talk about what was going on behind the scenes while you were writing this. And it sort of explains in some ways why the character of Charlotte Salter, who is that mum, is almost crystallised at a particular time in her life where she's pretty youthful and vibrant and always friendly and always warm and welcoming and that kind of has an extra resonance I think knowing what was happening in your in your lives where you're writing it was that a conscious thing that you wanted to put into or are you just sort of realizing actually that was sort of a subconscious thing that came out in the writing it was kind of, I think it was subconscious on the other hand when we talked about Charlotte we talked about her as being like she's like the ghost in the book in the way that when people die they're still there but they're there and not there so we wanted her her presence to be both the most kind of life-affirming radiant solid tangible thing and yet she's a ghost and in, yeah. in a way it's not a kind of uh it's not it's not really a murder when you read it it's not really a murder story it's about the difference it's about a disappearing disappearance story which is slightly different i think Certainly, very different. I agree, and also veering into, and I'm not sure I'm a fan of the term domestic noir. But what I mean is, there's an exploration of two families at the heart of this story. It's not a, a straightforward. Someone's been murdered. We need to find the culprit. It's not. It's not that. No. We're we've always one. We're really in a way. Again, it's no, not a decision you have. You kind of write the stories 
that come to you, the stories, you know, the things that turn you on, uh, that excite you. And we've always, it's not, we, we don't write about kind of, you know, about experts, about, you know, it's a really about the kind of things that just happen to ordinary people. And you kind of think, how would we, what would that be like for us if this, if this happened? And it always emerges from that. You know, we feel that all of us in our life are just a few, one or two steps away from things going terribly wrong. And that's what that's the sort of what interest that kind of fragility of life, you know, that we're all on thin ice all the time. And also terrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is, is terrifying. Yeah. That's the I mean, for us, that's the most terrifying thing. Not if a kind of terrorist leaps out of the kind of woods, but actually what goes on behind closed doors, what goes on in families, what goes on in relationships. The people you can't trust are the people who you think you know the best. At the very beginning, the investigation is not handled well, and that's a, a theme that runs through the story. Was that just a device for you to kind of cloud the narrative and to create a few more kind of uncertain moments for me, the reader? Yes. Or well, were was, you trying it to? Was, it was a device. Yeah. Um, so that's certain. So it's not a commentary on the state of policing. Oh, it is. It is, <laughs> it is right. Yeah. That's where I was going. That's where I was going. It's both a plot device. So we needed the. The, the investigation in the early part of the book to be completely botched and things to be missed and them to go around kind of go down wrong avenues. But at the same time, you know, there have been books we've written in the past and people have said, well, the police, surely the police wouldn't behave that stupidly or that kind of incompetently or that corruptly. And they're quite, the police would look at the newspapers, look at what's happened in the Met. I mean, you know, Never underestimate the kind of the the amount of bad things that happen in the police force. I mean, the way police police officers they're like anyone else. They you know there are lots of kind of except often worse. <laughs> and then, so, yeah, yeah. So mean, we want to acknowledge that you know we wanted to kind of take on board the fact that the police force in you know is in a terrible state at the moment, and and terrible things have been done by police. I must admit, when I was reading it. Uh, the early sections especially there's a lot of the police talk to etty so the daughter who's 15 i think at the time i was like they're talking to her a lot where is like the responsible guardian how i am not happy with the police right now (laughs) (laughs) but 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 you see i mean you shouldn't be happy with the police but the police did and do behave like that so i don't think it's unrealistic i think it's I mean, we are kind of, I mean, I think people should be horrified and scandalised by the things that go on with the police. I mean, lots of, there are lots of thrillers. I mean, it's a contract you enter with a reader, I guess, that quite glamorise the police force. You know, detectives are kind of, are the heroes and they're the kind of geniuses. But lots of detectives are not heroes, nor are they geniuses. Well, there's this term called copaganda, you know, where lots of thrillers... We're just yeah, in a way, kind of glamorise and glorify the police. And I think it's worth you know just looking, being a bit more. I was going to say sceptical, but I'm also going to say realistic about the way you know just just looking at what you know what's been happening in policing. Well, it was one of the things I enjoyed is that it's it's not a two dimensional part of the plot. So I would have found I would have thought some books might want to plant pure criminality amongst the police. But actually, I found there was quite a blurred line in the investigation between stupidity and human error and borderline yeah. criminality. Do you know what I mean? Because in real life, yeah. it probably is grey as well, right? Yeah, no, I think. Yeah, in real, I think yeah. in real life, it is grey. I mean, actually, mostly when I mean, mostly always, I think when we write, there are no clean lines. Not between kind of good and evil. Not between kind of clever and stupid. Not, you know, that actually. 
and talk, this is talking about what's scary in life and in thrillers as well. It, things are just messy and uncertain and there are lots of mistakes and it's usually not conspiracies that happen. It's usually just things get messed up. Villains aren't clever. I mean, life is just kind of, is, is full of, is, is full of mess. And so we write about that mess. And so obviously the, the main detective in the present who then comes, uh, Maud, uh, she's, you know, she has obviously has this problem of, um, you know, being a woman in that, in that world, you know, which have, some people may think, well, hang on, wasn't that really a problem back in the 80s? And, that, and one had thought that it would be getting better, but, you know, the recent revelations about the Met Police, for example. And you could also, in a way, so we, so we both have a kind of, you know, we have a moral view about this and, and it's good for people to think about it, but also in our kind of cruel, cynical, just being what's good for a story, you, what you want for your main characters is obstacles, you know, so to, to throw a female detective into that world is perfect for, for, for what we want, you know, she's struggling with trying to with this old crime and with her own colleagues you know so you know that's that's just what you like <laughs> well i want to i want to talk to you more about maud a bit later on um because she's i think my favorite character in this book so i want to um, well, I think, i'm glad to inform you she's coming she's back in the next book as well excellent uh, excellent okay excellent when phil well, and i well, were well, chatting well, uh well. yesterday <laughs> he was like oh i wonder if like i could certainly see like more doing yeah, more did, in like in, yeah say. <laughs> um so okay well in that case now i've got 50 more questions but before i'll hold those try and pause the brain and let's get you to read a, an excerpt for us from your brilliant new standalone novel and this is a real treat for you because uh, we always ask readers uh, authors to read as you know but um sean and, and nikki have agreed to flip-flop this in the way that they write this as well so now what we're not saying is that the bits they read are the bits they necessarily wrote but what we're saying is they're going to do a shared reading for us that's what we're saying which is a real treat so where do we join the story with yeah. you both and we're going to read from the very so this is the beginning. very, this is the very beginning so absolutely yeah. no spoilers has anyone seen charlotte salter 30 years ago in a village in east anglia where the land is swallowed up by mud flats and marshes and a hard wind blows in from the sea a woman went missing. It was midwinter, sleety and dark, but Christmas was coming. There were festive lights in the high street, decorated trees in the windows, smoke curling from the chimneys of the houses, and in a barn on the edge of the village, people were gathering for a party. But one person never arrived, and life was changed forever in that ordinary little village. Her disappearance was the start of a chain of terrible events that for more than three decades blighted the lives of two families. This is a story of dark secrets that were buried a lifetime ago, but which never lost their power and of the grip that the past has upon the present. It is the story of the people whose lives unravel from that winter day. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, partners and friends. It is the story of a woman She's a wife, a mother, a confidant. She's impulsive and warm-hearted and full of life. When people describe her, they use words like radiant, vital, generous, optimistic. She's a woman of appetite. She loves food, red wine, long hot baths. She loves dancing, walking in all weathers, jigsaw puzzles, gossip, weepy films, nice clothes, crumpets, marmalade, Chance encounters, peonies and sweet peas, candles, mangy dogs, lost causes. She loves life, she loves people. Above all, she loves her four children. Her name is Charlotte Salter. He looked up 
Does that seem all right? It was fine, more than fine. It was good. Then it's a wrap. Now, I want to just explain to you listening that we record, you know, we do these on, on Zoom, so we can see Nikki and Sean right now. And the synchronicity between you there was brilliant. Have you done joint readings at your book events? Are you used to it? Or is that the first yeah. time? Or we, 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 first, we, very, we very rarely, we very rarely do readings, actually. We, wow. normally, normally, when we do, we do quite a lot, we do a lot of kind of stuff on stage talking to with audiences, but we for, for some reason, we hardly ever... I loved it I loved the way that, that Sean you started and then you just looked over and you naturally picked up and it was almost like you were a well-rehearsed <laughs> double act it was really it was I was a real didn't you think Natalie a real insight into probably how the writing works and similarly <laughs> I don't want to be too nosy either although uh, if you are ask my mum that's exactly what she says I am always in a good way that's been like that since a kid that's why I got into journalism I'm sure um but I I also kind of love the idea that because the pair of you write together and I know you've spoken a lot about how you do that process do you ever like set each other up if like you've annoyed each other in something in your daily life is one of you like yeah I'm gonna like stop the writing on this bit here because the next it's gonna be really like gnarly for yeah. whichever <laughs> one it is to like pick up the next day <laughs> I think that's a really good thing. Good yeah. idea. Well, no, it's a good idea. <laughs> I'm, so I think that probably doesn't happen. But I think what does happen is that, I mean, all writers, I think, are often on the edge of a writer's block. I, I know no writer who sometimes doesn't kind of hit a wall or find a knot or, or for some reason the writing just won't won't do what they say. And, and so we're in the lucky position is if we kind of hit that wall, there's always somebody else who can keep going for us. I mean, what I would say is, is that um, you know, there's all the thing of the question: if you're a if you're a writer, who are you writing for? Who have you got in your head? You know, when you're you know, and you've always got to have some sort of reader because you know, think of them, especially if you're writing thrillers. You've got to think, well, what would they say be thinking at this point? But also, I think in a way, like when I'm writing, I'm also partly writing for Nikki. There's certain, even though we've it's quite it's well planned and it's clear what say what I'm writing at a particular point but there's a bit of kind of always someone putting something a bit unexpected in or something a bit odd and thinking you know deal with that Nikki you know see how what are you going to think of that you know <laughs> I love much, that though <laughs> well I figure it must be quite um two things it must be really strange because as you're propelling towards the end of a novel as well so writing that big reveal if one of you is like itching to kind of do that or not but also just what you were saying there about you do have to have a bit of an audience in mind with a thriller to try and second guess what they might be guessing as they're yeah. reading but there was an interesting quote I I saw from Rick Rubin the music producer recently where he was saying that it's almost like the death of art I'm paraphrasing him probably awfully but it's almost like the death of art to think of anybody else think of an audience when you're creating that whether it's music or writing or whatever it is because he says he can only ever write for himself and in being so selfish in that way then it's so niche you think that that's when it becomes universal and can become great and it doesn't get watered down by anybody else inputting so I wonder where the balance of that is for you I mean I think that I, I kind of agree with all of that I mean what I think what is the death is to try and think that work before we'll do it again what do people want try and give people what they want so what you always have to write is what you absolutely have to write what's the story that needs to come out of you and in or in this case out of both of this kind of shared imagination um and and that thing about 
kind of second guessing a reader, say. I think that's almost done in the planning and then in the editing. And the writing has to be something different where you let go of all the kind of self-consciousness and the self-censorship. And you just, and that's what, and in a way that's what, it's strange that it works between us because there's something so vulnerable and unguarded in that act of being unself-censored and unself-conscious. You have to kind of, you have to let yourself be ridiculous and make stupid mistakes and fail at things. And so we're continually kind of failing in front of each other and to each other. The thing is, I think the Rick Rubin thing applies. Yeah, I think I totally agree with what Nikki was saying, but I think that the, it really, really applies to music and I get it mm. completely. But when you're telling a story, there is something a bit different because I think you've always got to think about I mean, to, you know, to take a really basic thing, I think it's absolutely fatal if the if the if the if the or if the reader is just ahead of you and just you if you've got some kind of surprise coming and they know it's coming. I mean, I was just reading a thriller, uh, which I'm actually not going to exactly. <laughs> say what it is, but it, and it's it was it's rather well done, but it's got it's got a really we were talking earlier about twists. It's got a very big twist. And I would defy, I think pretty much every reader would see it about a hundred pages before it comes. And you just, mm. just come on, just, you know, I know it's coming and just get a move on. And I think that's, so I think that, I think you've always got to be slightly aware of, you want to kind of reward the reader for the reader kind of get always you know, slightly surprise them or make, you know, have, you know, and, and, and that sort of thing. And I think that, I think sometimes, it, but also, of course, but being too aware all, to, all the time of a reader will just, Will just paralyze you and i think it's an endless balancing act and it's very and and the trouble is i think people have just become so sophisticated you know through, you know about especially with thrillers people kind of you know we all the people know that there's certain there's certain kind of tricks that people see coming so if you're going to go into that area you bloody well need to have a new <laughs> something fresh about it I so think. how do you two avoid that then because anthony horowitz has been on this podcast and he said that he asked his wife who i think is one of his producers as well but he asks her, can she guess the who done it? And if she can't guess it, then he he's satisfied that he's kind of fooled everybody. Well, I I mean, I don't know how we have. I mean, I think you never know what you've got when you finished a book. As as a writer, you don't know what you've got until you found readers, and then they'll tell you. And the book kind of comes alive with readers. So, I mean. And you can't tell if you got away with it because you've lived with that idea for so long. So, so you know, you might think you've got away with it. So we. So have you don't it. test it. You don't give it to the kids no, or to, 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 or to no, editors. No, or... no. We we don't give it to anybody except each other until we hand it over to our agent, and then she will definitely tell us if she thinks it doesn't work. Um, but you do. You know, you you can't tell, but you have a pretty good sense. I mean, I think. Also, when we're planning, you kind of you you plan in all sorts of different ways. So there's the kind of there's what the plot is, what the kind of points of high drama is, what the kind of concealing kind of bits are, you know, what the pace is going to be. So so by the time we start writing, there's a kind of sense of this is the journey we're going on. And that journey is planned around many things. But one of the things it's planned around is fooling the reader. Um, also, there are different kinds of thrillers. I think every, you know, we, we, you know, we, we don't just write one sort. So, for example, we've written one, we've written one, we wrote a book, an early book called Killing Me Softly, and you, you basically know who the criminal is right from the beginning. It's really about it's about discovering someone, this person, who they're in a relationship with, and then it's what what do they do with that? What do they do now that they know this? So that's one kind, you know, and can they survive it? 
and this, we've done that and there's so there's and there's some things where it's it's sort of a whodunit but it's really does it feel emotionally right when you discover who it is and once or twice we've done and we, do, we, we did a recent book called house of correction which we we really did in that case we, we i think we went full-on agatha christie in the sense that i think once it was revealed the truth I feel I don't think anyone could have got it, but once you knew it, it was we we didn't play it. We played completely fair, you know. But it was you know. So this, so I think you've almost got to decide what kind of story are you telling, and then and, and then you then you've got to you know. So it's very rare that it's just you know. But I, I you know what you do, what you want. It, I mean, you certainly don't. I mean, again with the solution, if people thought, oh, I just. Yeah, it was so obvious, you know, that that sort of, you know. But, uh, but I mean, if we, if we give it to our agent and she said, I could see it coming, then we have to mm. radically do something about that because that's a failure. And how many times has she said that to you? She hasn't well, said that yet. Well, I don't, there was one time with a, uh, when we finished a book, I think it was book number four, and it we, we kind of felt like it had been quite a bit, a bit of a struggle to write it. And we handed it into our agent and she came back and she said, well, it's all right, but there's something a bit wrong somewhere and just have another look. And we thought, yeah, it just hasn't taken fire. And we just threw the entire book away and began again because we had a book in our head that we were burningly eager to do. And this book just didn't feel quite alive. So so in that sense, you know, we <laughs> we've had to go back and radically revise but I, I i don't think that there's been a time when our agent says it that they know mm. and we're constantly it's actually one of the things is when we we plan the books carefully and then and then we're constantly talking all the way through so there is in a sense about your feeling you know although you know you, you at key points what would the you know there are all these things about what one is will they know will the reader guess what the truth is but also it's things like things that they're really important questions about about like uh, why didn't they call the police at that point or why didn't they and i think if that, that's a really important thing as well so it's not just about guessing what's going to happen it's more like do you will people go along with this world because i think we we know about this as readers and viewers there's a certain point when you're looking at a new film you can you you're, you're in the first 15 say 15 minutes or half an hour of a film you're kind of thinking um, do I trust this world? Do I trust this story? And once you do, that's a lovely feeling and you kind of give yourself up to it. Whereas, uh, whereas the awful feeling is after a certain point, you think, do you know, I, I don't believe this. I, I, they wouldn't do this. Is, I don't want to be in, you know, I, and then you, and then of course you don't, it's not a matter of just don't like, you usually just stop watching or you, yeah. or you so, stop but, reading so, the book. Do you so, believe the world or do you yeah. care? You know, yeah. we want people to care. So we, the books that we write, they're not just puzzles. Then you know, I mean, I hope they are puzzles, and I hope they're compelling. But also, we want them to kind of have deep roots. Really, we you know, we try and write with heart as well as head. So this is book twenty-five, as we were saying, and you've pretty much done a book a year where possible. And I know you've both written separately as well. Um, do you still love it? Do you still have that kind of creative drive? If we didn't love it, we just we we have made a pledge to each other that if we stop loving it, we'll stop doing it. I mean, and because it's you know writing is hard, and writing together, it's not it's it's harder in a way because you have to kind of negotiate with the relationship of the writers, and it's kind of a strange business writing together. And if we and we you know we're getting older, we've been doing this for a long time. If we didn't feel that it was a kind of 
new and slightly challenging adventure each time. If we didn't feel we had kind of more that we kind of wanted to say and write, we would stop. So we still love it. I mean, it's funny that, it, that some of, especially, I mean, when I look back at some of our stories, some of them are extremely grim and going to very dark areas. But but actually, even some of the very grimmest, we had such fun doing it. You know, it's a kind of play, you know, and I think if ever, that's the other thing, if it felt like, oh, we're just, it's just a job, we're just going to the office, then, we, you know, it's all, I mean, actually, it's kind of, it's really kind of, can we get away with this? You know, that's what, that's what we're, you know, it's. I was going to say that's one of the reasons why we try and do new things with each book that we write kind of new structure new kind of structures new themes we just want to be doing different things each time but that's for that's for us as well as a reader I guess can I ask because I saw a wonderful look of mischief cross Sean's face then when you talked about getting away with it <laughs> and, and the play involved yeah <laughs> Let me ask you, Nikki, is Sean the mischievous one? And if he is, then Sean, what is Nikki? <laughs> Are you mischievous? Now, I'm not sure that I would just... You know, we do it in terms of our writing. In, in, in terms of our writing. <laughs> I, I mean, I, well, I could definitely say that... Well, I we... think Sean is smarter and wittier and more acerbic than I am. So that's yeah. kind of mischievous. No. But, no, but, but also now I, I absolutely think I mean if you think mischief in a kind of I think that there's mischief is in in the kind of stories we write and we we have very often thought can we are we allowed to do this I mean I don't you know it, we've there's certain devices we've done in certain stories and partly that's been kind of it is true that you, I think you love that almost more than I mean there are times when you suggest things kind of can we get and I'm saying no <laughs> Think, no, no it's, it's it. too hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because actually, one of the I mean, we're always we one of the, the whole at the heart of our relationship. You know, we, you know, we've so we've been we've been you know we so we've been together for like what thirty three years, and, or, and, and I would say for like twenty seven of those years we've been writing together. So it's so much in the we woven into our relationship, and so much of is is. We could could we do this? Could we do that? And it's and it's not just about have generating good ideas. It's about stamping on bad ideas. I mean, I think you know. I think it's really one of the important things. So often you'll have a kind of quote good idea, which it's almost like a sugar rush. So it, at that moment in a story, it would be great, but it will wreck the rest of the story. And it, so it's very important to be, have the ability to resist attractive, what feel feel like superficially really attractive ideas. You know. Um, on the other hand, sometimes yeah. an idea comes along and it just feels so wonderful that you've had it. It's like a little kind of little bubble in the brain. It's really lovely getting to meet you and hear the pair of you talking about writing. Because again, I, I didn't want to be impolite, uh, <laughs> but when I was when I was like reading about how you do write together, and you did sort of say that earlier on, Sean, that I think would I be correct in saying that basically each of you thinks the other one's better than them at various points? So you're trying to write to impress each time. And they're trying to up your game with each think, passage that you do. I think that's really, I think that's definitely true in the sense that there is that, that I mean, one that, you know, there are, I wouldn't recommend, you know, to people out there, if you're in a wobbly relationship, don't try and solve it by writing a novel. <laughs> it's very, it's writing is hard. And I think collaborating is even harder, but there are real benefits. So, I mean, I think it's a real benefit in plotting in the fact that you're constantly, you're having, You've got to run each idea by someone else who will probe the kind of weaknesses. And and, and I absolutely agree 
I think, I mean, I, I definitely think that I feel I write better as a, you know, when I'm collaborating with them because somehow, you know, I've got to, I've got this, I could, I've always got the beady eye of Nikki kind of mentally looking down on me as I'm writing, you know, I've got to, I've got to do something. So, but, so, I mean, I think partly it's true, but partly it's not that I'm trying to kind of compete with Sean in who can write this, it's, we, I mean, this. Sound, I, mean, I hope it doesn't sound pretentious. It, we, we're genuinely trying to write as Nikki French, and Nikki French is not just the two voices kind of in in kind of competition with each other or mashed together. Nikki French is something that has taken us, but continually takes us by surprise. We don't quite understand why it works. You know, if we, you know, we've written, as you say, we've written twenty five books, but you know, we still, it's still slightly mysterious to us how it works and how we can both kind of tap into this same voice and the same shared imagination. Bit odd, bit like- how, how do you, do you have to set boundaries as a husband and wife? I mean, for example, now in my head, when you were talking, I had a scenario where one of you wakes at three in the morning and goes, I know how we solve this. And you go, not now, it's bedtime. No, no, we have no, no, we boundaries. Have no, no. boundaries like that. I mean, I, <laughs> do we have any boundaries? No, I mean, in a way, I mean, I don't think write, writers have boundaries like that because because often the best ideas come when you are least expecting or wanting so them. They, come, they yeah. probably always they kind yeah. of come in through the kind of back door when you when you're thinking about something else entirely. So you can't you can't just be a kind of writer for 10 hours and then for what's that 14 hours not um and so you know a lot of a lot of our writing comes out of conversations the kind of what if conversations that aren't about writing at all they're just about life the kind of what we feel about things um yeah I mean actually lack of boundaries is almost kind of and and you know so here we are we're kind of married we live together we kind of work together ideas are coming are kind of swilling around all together it's out of that brew which is often a bit chaotic that that our work comes yeah but it's it's works as you say don't question it too much um <laughs> uh i also wanted to ask about because i know that the pair of you both studied uh english literature at oxford university and one of the if not the main reason that phil and i set up this podcast in 2019 is that mm -hmm. right yeah um was that we both love reading we both read different things we'd work together uh at the bbc in radio in various things but what we hated about the reading world was that there was so much snobbery around often the choices of books that people read and i sort of wondered if the pair of you coming from such a you know top tier academic background and writing crime fiction but genre fiction which obviously millions of people adore and it's incredibly well written but some people are still quite sniffy about mainstream popular culture in doesn't any always form. get reviewed in the broadsheets yeah. does it yeah. no and has that kind of have you encountered that along the way does it annoy you well i think what well, i think definitely is in 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 our you know we're both really passionate readers and you know and we we just read everything we read and we don't you know we you know so from really highbrow to you know to, i mean it sounds it doesn't feel wrong that feels wrong yeah and so i i, I mean i think in a way I, I i feel that some lot of 
crime writers get very sort of offended by not being taken supposedly not taken seriously but i think i feel so much of that has gone away i think a lot of this you know of the snobbery and uh and but you know and i think it's silly it's just ridiculous and i definitely just speaking now just for myself because i my dad was a film critic so i grew up just watching all kinds of movies and he you know and really i was so and loving ingmar bergman but loving kind of you know you know die hard and stuff you know uh, yeah and i've never and i've never felt that i needed to apologize for for what i like you know it's just what you enjoy and i feel kind of sorry that it's you know people talk about guilty pleasures yeah you know, that's, it's not I mean, guilty it's why, like if it's a good story well told no yeah it's, what's, it's, it's just a pleasure about, yeah. Exactly. And I think the distinction is between what's good and what isn't so good rather than what genre it's in. Same. And that, you know, there are good and bad in all types, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, in part two of this story, then, this, this um, the Charlotte Salter book that we're talking about. Um, again, I'm choosing my words carefully, but there's a true crime podcast which runs parallel to the police investigation. And obviously, we don't do true crime. We've never done. We, we do this. We speak to, to hugely talented authors and, and love of books. But there is a lot of true crime. Around. And in fact, um, Michael Connolly has been on this podcast a number of times and um, dipped his toe into the true crime pod area, area as well and, and had a thing going. Um, what, what's your feeling about that? It kind of it made me laugh. It kind of entertained yeah, well, me. I think we, yeah, we, we, I think like everyone, we, the, you know, when the first true crime things came, it was incredibly exciting. And, you know, we all what, listened to serial, you know, and, and, and it was so, it was really gripping and fascinating. But I think also, like lots of people, by the time, even we just let, just talk about serial, which I think probably almost everyone listening to it will have heard, because it was, I think that was where the, it, it somehow podcast, that, that form exploded. It became so popular about this, you know, this person who'd been, convicted of this murder in was it where was it in baltimore or somewhere um anyway uh and i think there was something queasy when you got to the end of it everyone wanted well what's the solution you, you know you know well, we want to know who did, did he do it or didn't he do it and the end was kind of well we don't really know you know and i think there's a real there is a genuine problem in interpreting the world as if it were a crime novel and so i think there's something about so you know i think we when we we talked about so which and we wanted to kind of convey it but there's just something a bit problematic about 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 treating the treating things as effectively as entertainment, you know, and and expecting them to have the beginning, middle, and end that you get in a, you know. So so I think that's why we wanted to sort of. To... And at the, but at the same time, it's part of the plot, um, and also at the same time, it was kind of fun. We had fun doing it, and it added some kind of zest because it could have been a very melancholy and bleak story. And of course, it's a story about sadness, but we also wanted it. To fizz a bit. Well, that's really interesting, Nikki, because especially what Sean just said about talking mm. about true crime as entertainment. This is crime fiction, but it's still entertainment, right? I'm not buying your book because I'm studying criminology. I'm buying because I want to be entertained, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so do you both have quite clear parameters then? On on you, you said before, Nikki, that Sean sometimes has been the one who's gone. Let's do this, and you've gone. No, it's too dark or it's too nasty. Have you both got a good sense of what is okay to pass as entertainment? So can I just check, is that in that, I don't think Nikki's ever, ever rejected a thing because it's just too dark. I think it's more like, I sometimes have um, think of like some technical, would it be fun to do a kind of tell a story? Oh, I see, right. Weird way. And Nikki says, oh, that's just silly or something like that. You know, yeah. we, we, but we don't know, well, sometimes, but sometimes we have done it. But there are certain books we've done, we've slightly experimented with, with things you're, you know, doing, telling a story in a different kind of way. So there's more like that. Uh, so, I mean, the, well, the, I mean, the situation of whether, 
of the kind of dark areas is, a, is another interesting issue that we've and, and we've you know we've, there's certain times we've dealt with very violent um, uh, areas but you have to think about and you know we've I think we've never not done it because oh it won't be entertaining enough but but is it is it right is it right for the sort of story we want to tell I mean you know there's a long running debate about crime thrillers being kind of they're kind of forms of torturing women and the the victims are often women and it can become there can be almost a pornography of violence against women and we've thought about that a lot and actually there have been a few books where we've just not been able to continue with what we were doing because it felt it felt too much it felt what you know it, it overbalanced the story so on the one hand we do you know we want we want to write compelling thrillers we also want to write about the real world the world that we're living in you know where a lot of the violence is done to women but we just have to tread very carefully and not and not not kind of be violent just for the sake of being violent i mean one of the things that we often talk about is how the people who have died or been damaged we want to treat them as real people as subjects of their own lives not just as clues and so that's almost like that's that's one of our mantras almost you know they cannot just be a kind of body on the floor or a set of symptoms and clues but also also you can see that in this book the you know so this the detective Maud who goes in, into the later stage to kind of try and in the wreckage of this investigation to try and sort it out. Um, there's a kind, I mean, it's very, I mean, so she, you know, she's going into this traumatised, this terrible traumatised family, but it's a, there's a kind of comedy about it as well, you know, about her having to kind of navigate this, these chaotic and incompetent, you know, people surrounding her. Well, let's, let's as you mentioned, Maud, let me pick up on that then, because you did confirm that, so this is Maud O'Connor, the detective who comes in here and I'm going to try and praise him more as a character, not as a, a, you know, with no plot spoilers, but I think that why did I love her so much? I loved her because she's got this boyfriend who uh, using my vernacular, I would say he needs to shit or get off the pot. Do you know what I mean? And he can't quite make his mind <laughs> on what he's doing. And I just thinking you idiot, can't you see that this woman is so smart? She's got a massive heart. What are you doing? You idiot. And then she has to go off and not only she's got that in her personal life, but all the local officers resent her for a start because she's not one of them. And then she does start making headway in the case. They've made zero headway on that causes resentment. And still she pushes on and pushes on, but she doesn't do it in, in a way that alienates the reader. She does it in a way that you're just only rooting for her. And I just thought, what a, a brilliant character. I'm delighted. She's coming back um, yeah. in what guys and is Silas, isn't it? The boyfriend, I think he's toast, right? I mean, he's not coming back. is He <laughs> <laughs> might well be toast. I mean, she's what we wanted with Maud is we wanted to have, you know, there are lots of wounded to very wonderful kind of wounded middle-aged drunken. male drunken detectives. We wanted to have somebody who was not wounded. I mean, you know, she, things go wrong for her, but she's not a wounded character. She's a very kind of resilient kind of problem solver almost. So she kind of comes in and she has kind of clarity and she has optimism and she can kind of put a healing hand on this chaos that we've been describing. Um, so we never have wanted to write kind of just wholesale, straightforward police procedurals, because we want, as we were saying earlier, we want to write kind of extraordinary things happening to ordinary people. Um, but on the other hand, Maud, Maud is coming back because we like her so much. And so she's coming back in in the novel that will be published in a following year. Um, 
and what more can I say about her? Except she, she will, she she will come back, and she will continue to be kind of resilient and problem solving. But isn't that amazing? So for me as a reader, what I love is I love that she's coming back for two reasons. Firstly, because it means that I know that there'll be an intelligent and articulate plot that she'll work through because that's her. But also, you've got to work out what you do with her personal life, right? Yeah. And have yeah. you solved that yet? <laughs> well, it's an ongoing process. It's ongoing, right? Okay, <laughs> interesting, interesting. And how do you, do you? Can you give me some insight into how you do that? How how you flesh out a character like that? What have you done? Do you think that's made me love her so much? So I, that's re, that's a kind of good question, which is a very hard question because we we obviously before you begin writing, we just talk and talk about who Maud is, you know, what makes her tick, you know, what she looks like, what she can, what it, what the kind of tone of her is. But a character only kind of comes alive when you start writing her or him. So in Maud's case, you know, we had a kind of we had a theoretical sense of how we wanted her to be, and then it was in the act of writing and the act of and the act of what she was kind of how she dealt with plot, how she kind of took mess and uh, and gave it a kind of clarity. Does she um, remind you both of anybody that you know? Is has anyone kind of surreptitiously seeped in? Like, like this woman sitting next to me. Oh, ah, that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> also, you know, the other thing is how she deals with people around her and how she deals with Silas and how she's kind of, you know, so she's somebody who values herself. So that's what we wanted to have, rather than someone who was self-deprecating, somebody mm -hmm. who knew her own worth um, and wouldn't take shit from somebody. I mean, one of the great mysteries, and it's and and, and, it, and, and it's really important things about constructing a story, is, you know, there are certain characters you're meant to not like and character, you know, who just, you know, the point of them is not to like them. Or all the characters who behave badly, but you kind of like, you're meant to kind of like them. Or, and the people you're really meant to like. And the, again, you, you know, I was talking earlier about this, this it's terrible when you're reading a story and you get ahead of, you know, you're anticipating, come on, get a move on. But also, I think that sometimes when there's a character you're clearly meant to really like and they're getting on your nerves a bit, or 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 someone who's meant, who actually, who's a kind of, you know, you're meant to sort of dislike, but actually I prefer them to the kind Kind of you know the person you know so so it's I mean it's just a very mysterious process it's, it's mysterious except you've got to kind of you know um, some I mean sometimes also I mean when you with you you want to you, you don't want to I think constantly you don't want to make it too easy for the reader so sometimes the way to make I mean in a way you 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 want to make a character that is not is not not likable 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 you've got to give them that you know the reader's got to sort of you know uh, you want you want some grit in the oyster a bit you know so the and so, 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 you know, so um, it's always interesting when, when I mean, when one thing we discover this, in a way, a book's not really finished, and people until people read it and respond to it, you know, and that, and then and sometimes you you'll discover that actually, people, you know, certain characters become really loved by readers in a way you hadn't anticipated, and other ones don't quite click, and that's always that's kind of an, that's always a bit of a lesson. Well, just the last one for me then before we get some recommendations from you, because I have I now have 24 other books that I can delve back into. But I know so many people listening will be huge fans of all of your work. And you do do that thing where you drip in a little character or a side character and you blend the the lines a bit between some of the books and the worlds you kind of write in your Nikki French world. Is there anybody that I must have missed in this latest book that has we've already met in other stories already? 
That's oh, a wow. really good question. No, I, you know, I have to say no. this is one case where you know, could we did write, we did we before we wrote an eight book series, and that was a very different thing where characters went right through the whole thing. And we've very, you know, that's a very good point. We have actually in certain books, in a, almost like private jokes, slipped in people within who were important in one book and then have a tiny appearance, like a hit, like, like you know, the way Alfred Hitchcock used to sort of pop walk up. on. <laughs> walk on. We've, had, we've done that a couple of times. I don't, you know, not no, like I, I don't think there there's anyone in this one. No. no. Job done. Ethanglia is a recurring character. So. Yeah. Yes. And a very important one in this story. Yeah. 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 So, what else have the pair of you been reading, either recently or old favourites that you want to recommend to people listening? Well, I'm going to talk about a couple of things I've just been doing recently. So, um, there's um, there's a thing that um. The book that was this was actually it's a recent book I read and but it was it was part it was it was um people know the the um Powell and Pressburger the the uh the, the who did films like the like the red shoes and the life yeah. and death and blimp, uh, blimp and Michael Powell's kind of famous but Emmerich Pressburger who wrote the scripts he um he uh, uh he also wrote a couple of novels including one in the sixties called The Glass Pearls that was uh, it was a big flop. And then it was, uh, and then but then it was, uh, it's just been republished in the last couple of years, and it's a, it's a sort of thriller, about a, a Nazi war criminal who's living in London, and it's told from his point of view, and it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and I really would, you know, it's 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 uh, it's it's drawing because he himself was a Jewish refugee. And and yet he puts himself into what it's like to be this Nazi on the run with with a kind of sympathy. It's a brilliant book, so I'd really recommend that. So that's the well, Glass you... Pearls. That's Emmerich Pressburger, P R E W S B U R G E R, published by Faber, I think. Really good. And I I would say if you haven't read it, or you might well have already read it, my best friend Neris got me for Christmas um the Jonathan Coe book, Mister Wilder and Me, um and that's like a fictionalized account of uh, the movie director Billy Wilder's life and works but he's friends with Emmerich Pressburger and they Ooh, cross paths you. in London <laughs> and uh, at the end before and after the Second World War um, so yeah you might find that really interesting that's too. That's, 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 wow thanks very much. Okay so I'm going to mention um, Someone at a Distance by Dorothy Whipple which was written in 1953 and then republished not so long ago by Persephone Books. Love Persephone Books. Yeah, I love Persephone Books, and it's a it's a bowled me over this novel. It's in, it's it's a it's it's a kind of quiet but really potent book about um, a marriage dissolving, the destruction of a marriage. So this woman comes in to this happy marriage and sets out to destroy it. And it's just full of anguish, but it's beautifully, beautifully done and with great attention to everyone's feelings. And and it makes you feel so kind of anguished and angry. Um, it's, it's beautifully done. And did you read that or did you listen to that? Because you do, did you say you were going to... I read that. that... Oh, they were, they, the, the Glass Pearls, I, actually, I listened to it. It was read by Mark, what's he called, the one who's in the, the wonderful actor who's in the, um, the League of... Gentleman, towards we call the uh, uh, 
Oh, I'll, I'll remember it in a sec. Very Mark Gatiss. Mark Gatiss. Well, brilliant. Thank you. Uh, he, he, he reads it brilliantly, actually. Uh, so I, but Nikki and I both, we read a lot, but also listen to lots of talking books. Um, should I say my, my the other one is, uh, I've got three, actually, but the, the other one is with Paul Murray, who did, you read his new one, which you thought should have read, won the Booker. What was that Definitely called? should have won the Booker. That, that was called The, um, the Bee Sting. But, but, the... but I read his previous book that, that, uh, called um, Skippy Dies, which is and came out about five years ago, and people told me that they said, "Oh, it's a really funny book, great comic book." Uh, it's set in a in a boys' uh, it's kind of boys' boarding school in Ireland in the in I think about twenty thirty years ago, and it's an absolutely brilliant book about growing, what it's like being being at school. It's got a comic side to it. There's many funny things in it, but it's also really harrowing. And it's an absolute, it's quite long, but it's a big book and very, but really powerful. I absolutely, really was very, I loved it. Very, very gripping uh, and, and very moving as well. So that's my second one. And my second one, so we got three. So my second one is, um, <laughs> which I listened to as an, an audio book. And I don't know who read it, which is terrible, but it was very well read. It's um, a, the last book by the Spanish novelist Javier, is that the way you pronounce it? <laughs> Javier Marias, who died just over a year ago of COVID, in fact. Um, and it's like, it's a thriller. Um, it's like a philosophical spy novel. It's very long. It was like 22 hours. And it's... it's What's it it's, called? It's, it was, sorry, it's called Thomas, Thomas Nevinson. Um and it's 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 kind of very long, and it's got very long winding sentences, and it's it's all of, it's both about, um, you know, a particular a particular spy plot, but also it's a kind of it's like a meditation on what it is to be human, what you know, what people's motives are. It's about how to how to live a good life in a kind of murky old world, and it was. It, it, Kind of very, very bleak, but um, extraordinary. So I've just found that it's, it's, the book is called Thomas. The, there's no H in that. Thomas Nevinson. Uh, the author is Javier Marias, and it's narrated by Ben Cura. Very good, good old Ben. Ben did well. Right. <laughs> well, my my final book is is it, it's a book I'd been meaning to read for years, and I just thought, oh, God, it's a bit worthy. It's a bit old, and it, it's a book from 1922 called The Good Soldier Swake by Yaroslav Hasek. It's one of the great Czech novels. And it's, um, I think it was in one of the main inspirations for Catch-22. And I, th yeah. I think it's much funnier than Catch-22. I think it's, a, it's basically, it's a, it's a satire, savage, savage satire written, in, uh, written about the kind of, about a soldier going through the kind of, the world of the military world in the years leading in the period just at the beginning of the first world war and it's actually i think it's one of the funniest things i've ever read i was you know people say i laughed aloud i was cackling while reading this but book and nikki just read it as well i'm forced nikki it's um it's so, so it's, there's nothing that's sacred in that book. It attacks a whole notion of mis the of the military world, the political world. That you know, it's I re I, I cannot recommend it too highly. It's you know, I it just it's so it's so very very funny and and but also, but got my word, it's a, it's an anti-war book. You know, mm. I think, yeah. So the good soldier Sveka, that's S V E J K. If you're yeah. searching for that. 
Uh, Yaroslav is with the J J A R O S L A V, and the surname of the author is Hasek H A S E K. Yeah, and I I again listen to that as a talking book, but you can certainly get it. It's a it's a it's like I think it's the most it's the classic Czech novel, but but really really enjoyable. Quite short as well as a talking book, according to this. David Horovitz, the narrator, six hours fifty five. That's no, no, that's that must be a bridge. The version oh, okay, I right. more like it was, really it was, it was long. It's a long book, and he didn't finish it. He died before he finished it. But it's it's what it's a kind of picaresque novel that it could have gone on forever, and I wish it had. <laughs> and I'm going to say very little about the last book I'm recommending because I've only just begun it. I've only read a few pages, but I've kind of already fallen in love with it, and it's a bit relevant because, like the Charlotte Salter book, it's about mothers and daughters and it's the wren the wren by anne enright and i know yeah i've heard about that book but i haven't read it i love anne enright she's kind of she's very she's kind of smart and sharp but so kind of full of compassion as well those are great recommendations it's really lovely to have met you both and to have spoken with you and i think over the last hour and a bit uh, we've had genuine insight into why the books work so well it's really oh, nice side by side. Thank you very, very much. It's been yeah, really yeah. nice meeting you. Don't worry, we'll Thank start squabbling again. As soon as... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you go, right, camera's off now. You, come here. <laughs> <laughs> um, take care and thanks so much for speaking to us. Some very different recommendations there, and we are going to assimilate all of those and we will get them up online for you at some point. So every writer who's been on who's made a recommendation, we'll have them all in one place. That's our dream, and our goal is to do that at some point very, 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 very soon for you. The other thing I noticed whilst I was editing, we take it in turn to edit these, and we recorded that quite a few weeks ago, truth be told, didn't we? Yeah. And so some of it leaves your memory, and then you do the edit and you get refreshed. And the thing that stood out as I was going through the edit meticulously was Sean kept going to you, Natalie. Oh, that's an excellent <laughs> question. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. Oh, what a very good question. Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. I'm thinking, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just uh, another example of my slightly strange uh, lateral brain going, oh, maybe remember me or something random. <laughs> no, it was good. It was a very incisive questioning. Good, good. Um, I tell you what, though, the I like the idea that they said that a lot of their ideas come around the breakfast table. I think that's the other thing. You know what we were speaking about before the episode about obviously you and I don't even live near each other, do we? So that wouldn't happen. And I think as a married couple for them, do you know what I mean? We're writing. They go, mm. I could imagine nothing's off limits, could you? Imagine if you went to their house and I don't know, some kind of comedy caper, you tripped over your shoes and ended up landing on a vase, which they'd had in the family for years and broke the vase, something like that. That'd yeah. be in a book. Do you know what I mean? That wouldn't yeah. just happen that day. That's it. I would imagine it's all content with them. I should think so. But I also think it's it's a real skill to recognise what is good content and mm. what's just something that happened. Because we can all sort of like make observations and think that it's brilliant and we can turn that into some kind of emotional beat of a story but recognizing I think what are the really truthful moments that can lead to something specific about a character you're writing about or can propel your story in some way is probably a whole nother thing which I'm trying to master but let's see if I ever do. How's that going have you got back into your writing? I have a bit um I have got into 
I've got work has been a bit busy so I've mm, been using same. that as an excuse obviously but practically too uh, but I think when my brain is really busy it can be beneficial to my writing because somehow it helps my brain to switch off and so then when it does those moments when it switches off if I'm like walking my son to school or whatever it might be that's when some more of the gnarly plot points that I've been really stressing over previously have suddenly started to fix themselves um so that's been helpful and rewarding you know what's interesting uh, for me what <laughs> that you've just used the word gnarly you yeah. use that word in the episode I love the word gnarly and it's, it's like one of my favorite apart. words <laughs> yeah okay okay that would explain it I just thought wow that's a where have I heard that word before yeah from you earlier <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a good word how's your writing yeah, same, similar to you, really, and I've been really busy on on night shifts, which um, have an eroding impact as well. So I haven't written anything for a couple of weeks, but this week I'm a, a bit quieter, and it's on my list of things to do. There was some podcast admin to do today, which I've done, and then tomorrow is going to be some writing. So yeah, I'm going to get back into it and see if I can bash at least another three thousand words out tomorrow. That's my objective Ooh, for tomorrow. That's a big objective. Well, I'm kind of averaging about two and a half to three each time I sit at the keyboard. That's good. So um, I'll see. And and the thing is, I kind of know, I know where I'm going. Yeah. So I won't have that issue. Yeah. Um. That's that's what I find slows me down sometimes. If I start a chapter, but I don't know where I'm going with it. Yeah. But if I know what I'm doing, it's just a case of making sure the quality is high enough and that the characters are more fully rounded enough. And then that will should get written. So famous last words, he says. Listen to I, I'm speaking like a man whose book is going to get published. I mean, I'm about 25,000 words in. And we need to, as we know, do between ninety and one hundred and ten thousand, and then hope someone buys it, and then hope it sells, and then hope I can. Do you know what I really would love? Do you know the moment I want more than any moments? It's not even like go on a chat show or whatever, or doing a book event. Yeah. It's not that. Mm. I want to be able to sneak into a Waterstones, find my book, and replace all the ones at the front of the shop with mine, and then run out giggling. That's all. <laughs> that's what I want to do. I, I want to do the uh, find my book on a shelf, and then just. Uh try to not be weird as I hang around to see if anybody picks it up and buys it and then be like that's my book that's my book I wrote it <laughs> um and just to end on what else have you been reading uh oh do you know what I'm really glad you asked that because we hadn't rehearsed to ask that but actually I've got certain in some interesting answers to give you so when we did Can our... I just say you, you make this sound as if we rehearse anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's very little rehearsal goes into yeah. but joking aside there is an intrinsic kind of there's something with us isn't there yeah. I can't quite put my finger on it, but you never asked me something that I've got nothing on and no. hopefully vice versa. No. So even though we don't plan it, I think we're on the same wavelength somewhere, somewhere in the ether. There's some thoughts going back and forth between each other. Um, so yeah, the reason why I say your question is interesting is because I've got a lot of books to read for this podcast mm -hmm. and I haven't read them. Thanks. And instead I have <laughs> been into some back autobiographies that have been by the side of the bed. So Sophie Ellis-Bexter's book, which I never finished, is really brilliant. Now, have you ever read it? No, I haven't, but I really oh, like her and I like her story as well. It. She's been really brave in this book. And so it's not just like I was in this band, then I got this band, then Murder on the Dance Floor happened. It's not that. It's way more interesting than that. And there are some, what I would imagine to be quite painful revelations about abusive previous relationships before she met her husband, Richard Jones, from The Feeling. And um, yeah, I just think it's a it's a fascinating and really searingly honest and beautifully told book. And it must have taken quite a lot of courage to put those words on the page. And so I've been loving that. And hang on, just over, let me look over my shoulder and see what else there was. There was another one. Oh yeah, and then um, do you remember last year 
This is so bad. Well, it's not bad. This is how people are. Um, last year when I said to you I was reading Stephen King's Holly. Yes. I just, I just suddenly I thought, why is it still by the side of my bed? So I opened it and the bookmark fell out at page 229. I'd never finished it. <laughs> so I did 40 pages on that last night before bed. And I, I am going to finish that because I've got two more Stephen King's on pre-order. I've mm. got the 50th anniversary edition of Carrie coming. Can you believe mm. that's 50 years old? I've never yeah. read it and I've never seen it. I've never it read it either. Right. I know the film really well. So that's coming. And then I've um, Stephen King's got a new collection of short stories coming in April called it's something like so you like it a bit darker, okay? And they're all and I'm gonna love short stories. Anyone who's yeah. a compendium of short stories. And the other one I was going to mention to you that's on my list to look at. Have you heard of Fourteen Days? Have you heard of that? Possibly, and I only hesitate because I there are various books that I know of that use the number of days in the title. And I don't know which one that one is. Well, this one is a literary project on behalf of the Authors Guild of America. It's edited by Margaret Atwood. Yes, right? I have heard about this one, yes. And it's a collaborative novel. This is the novel. lockdown one, right? Yeah, so they all do a... Now, I, I don't know if they all do a chapter each, but they've all written sections of the story. Now, when I, let me just tell you the list of writers that have participated in this. Uh, Margaret Atwood, Sylvia Day, Emma Donoghue, Tess Gerritsen, John Grisham, uh, Celeste Ng... Uh, who else would you know on this list? Uh, Scott Turow, who we've had on here. Uh, Rachel Vale. Uh, Deshaun Charles Winslow. Meg Wollitzer. I mean, uh, just I love amazing... Meg, Meg Wollitzer is one of my favourite authors. So um, there's an intro from Douglas Preston and Margaret Atwood who have edited this. And I haven't started it yet. I've only, I've been drawn to it by the cover, by the list of writers. And I just thought, what a great concept. How have they managed to all, it reminded me, do you ever do that game at school? When it was wet play at school, the teacher would do a game. Yeah. Sentence at the top of the page, yeah. fold it over. Yeah. And then you add a sentence and mm -hmm. then you read them out. It's a bit like that, isn't it? But it's yeah. like proper writers. <laughs> well, actually, this has almost come full circle to what we were talking about right at the start of this episode about how you collaborate or work with somebody, mm. whether it's somebody, a colleague or, you know, a partner. And yeah, I'm kind of intrigued to see how they've done this book because it's all sort of set within the same building in new york yeah, is that that's right? right that's, the that's right yeah that's right yeah 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 I, again i only know that from the cover i've not dipped into that yet but i wanted to mention it just because it's, it's kind of thing something i've added to the list and i've been reading martyr as well which i have mentioned on this podcast yeah. before and i'm going to track down the author for that and that is also superb what about you um i've been reading i've just finished a book called water by john boyne who is the author who did the boy in the striped pajamas uh, have we not done john boyne on this no, no. I must have done him on a radio show. Oh, Water is amazing. Um, the Heart's Invisible Furies I did him for, which I just, if you haven't read that, you would no, love it. It's beautiful. Oh, Absolutely so good. beautiful. It's so good. What's um, this one about? This one, oh, I don't even want to say what it's about because it's, let's, let's, I'm going to, I'm just going to tease it and say it's okay. brilliant. It's not okay. that long. Okay. It's the start of a, I'm gonna add it to my I list think now. it's the start of like a quartet maybe of books. So there's Water, Earth. I assume fire and air, maybe. I haven't quite looked at what's coming next. I know Earth is coming next because that's what it said at the end of the book. Um, but it's basically about a woman trying to wrestle with the consequences of what's happened in her life and whether she was complicit in something really awful mm -hmm. or whether it happened to her. Um, but it's really well done. It's really well done. Uh, and hearing you talk about... 14 days. I really want to read that now and see if we can get Meg Wallitzer on the podcast. Okay. Uh, we'll be back next week with more. I don't quite know what more yet, but there will be more. <laughs> 
There will be. It's going to be Millie Johnson is going to be with us next week, actually. Uh, yeah. We're doing rom-coms. We are. You better get I reading. love a rom-com. Yeah, right. I'll go off and read that now then. I'll see you in a bit. <laughs> 